In the premiere of House of the Dragon, King Viserys revealed to his daughter Rhaenyra, and by extension the entire Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones fandoms, that Aegon the Conqueror did his conquering because of a dream. A dream Aegon called the Song of Ice and Fire. A prophecy that was passed from king to heir from Aegon to Rhaenyra. Viserys describes it here. It was a dream. And just as Daenys foresaw the end of Valyria, Aegon foresaw the end of the world of men. It is to begin with a terrible winter, gusting out of the distant north. Aegon saw absolute darkness riding on those winds, and whatever dwells within will destroy the world of the living. When this great winter comes, Rhaenyra, all of Westeros must stand against it. And if the world of men is to survive, a Targaryen must be seated on the Iron Throne. A king or queen, strong enough to unite the realm against the cold and the dark. Aegon called his dream the Song of Ice and Fire. This secret, it's been passed from king to heir since Aegon's time. Now you must promise to carry it. And despite some of us saying this is probably the case for years now, this has come as a major shock for many fans. There's been different responses from excited to curious to outright hatred. By far the most common criticism though of this reveal is asking if the Targaryen monarchs knew about this dream, why didn't they do anything to prepare? When we get to the opening of the show and books, the Night's Watch is a wreck of itself, down to less of a thousand members with many castles abandoned. There's no more dragons, the Targaryens are running for their lives in Essos, and the White Walkers seem poised to razzle-dazzle their way into Westeros. So, what gives Targaryens? Why didn't they stop the danger or prepare for what they saw coming? Well, the answer is they did, but not in a uniform or unfortunately lasting way. But let's dive into it. The very first thing we have to acknowledge is that many making this criticism of the Targaryens are suffering from hindsight or Monday morning quarterbacking. We have read these books, watched these shows, listened to these podcasts, refreshed endlessly on not a blog. So we know for certain that this with a terrible winter gusting out of the distant north. Aegon saw absolute darkness riding on those winds. Means specifically the White Walkers. We know that they are some sort of psychic necromancers made of ice who can control armies of the dead and that they live far north of the wall and that they still exist crucially. We know this because we have consumed the material telling us all about them. But from the perspective of Aegon the Conqueror and almost all the Targaryen monarchs, receiving a dream that describes the oncoming danger like this with a terrible winter gusting out of the distant north. Aegon saw absolute darkness riding on those winds. Connecting that to the White Walkers could be, you know, a bit tough. Very few know that the White Walkers ever were real, most commonly thinking that they're a fairy tale like Snarks and Grumpkins, a scary story told by old-timers to scare children into behaving. That's one of the primary problems in Game of Thrones that literally no one south of the Wall believes the Night's Watch when they claim the White Walkers have returned. It takes enormous effort in the TV show to even get all the Northerners to believe the White Walkers are not only real but prepared to attack, never mind the Citadel or other rulers. And in the books, the challenges seem identical or even more daunting. So that is Aegon's first problem. He has to first even figure out that this dreams mean that the White Walkers in particular are what he saw. No small task. Then after he identifies that they are explicitly what he dreamed of, he then has to figure out how he even stop them if he had to, and if they're even active. They've been gone for 
thousands of years. Nobody knows what they're like. All there are are old stories and legends. It's entirely possible that Aegon never realized his dream meant the White Walkers and just tried to follow the dream to prepare for kinda whatever an endless winter of death means? You know, be it ice zombies, snarks, or grumpkins. His second problem is the line from Viserys of a united Westeros being key to defeat whatever is coming. So what did Aegon do? He conquered and attempted to unite all the kingdoms of Westeros into one. But that second problem's name is Dorne, which refused to bend the knee to Aegon and his sisters. They spent years sending soldiers and flying dragon bombing runs on castle after castle in Dorne, only to have their troops disappear into the sand and the castles they burned emptied beforehand, making their attacks amount to dragon vandalism. Unsurprising as the Dornish are ruled by descendants of the Roinar, who remember fighting the Valyrian dragon lords centuries ago, note the best way to beat them is to run and hide. According to his dream, United Westeros is the only way to beat the darkness, so every day that Dorne remained independent is a day closer to the doom of all life. Hence Aegon's obsession with conquering them, despite the enormous loss of life, which only stopped after Rhaenys was shot down and a mysterious letter from Prince Nyamor Martell forced a peace. So not only did he lose his third dragon head, but he didn't even manage to unite all of Westeros. So you can imagine this being a continued obsession and problem for Aegon. On to the third problem, let's tackle the Night's Watch. This is a very common question. Why didn't Aegon rearm and resupply the watch so they could be ready for what was coming? Well, the answer is Aegon didn't have to. While the current Night's Watch is an empty shell, at the time the Night's Watch had 10,000 men on the wall, and while they were slipping slowly into disrepair, they were still more than capable. One of the primary questions of Aegon's conquest early on was whether or not the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch would march his men down to fight the dragon as the Lord Commander's brother was the recently immolated Heron the Black. They were considered a significant enough force that it could have swayed the war early on before Aegon gained many of his allies. So there's not a lot Aegon really needed to do for them. They were ready to fight a war against one existential magical threat in the dragons. Surely they'd be ready to go against whatever the North threw at them. A little shoddy and run down, but still a potent fighting force, and also as a result of Aegon's conquest, a good many soldiers and knights would have found themselves banished to the Night's Watch, effectively reinforcing them. Also, there's a linked situation with the Northern Army and King Torn Stark. The Northerners are the last to show up to fight the Targaryen army, with Aegon already roasting Harrenhal and lighting up the Field of Fire. But the Northmen came anyway, intent on defending their sovereignty against the conquering dragons. With 45,000 men, Torn made his way all the way down to the Trident when Aegon came to meet him. And what happened? Did the dragons melt the soldiers like snowmen? Torn Stark surrendered the next day without a fight. In fact, no one knows exactly why he did that or what really happened between the two men. Aegon the Conqueror and Torn Stark's bastard son, Brandon Snow, along with three maesters, met overnight and the next day Torin knelt to his new liege. However, if you piece together Aegon's belief in the coming darkness beyond the wall, it's easy to see how he and Torin may have found common ground avoiding the battle. Out of all the kings Aegon would face, Torin Stark would be the most likely to be receptive to the idea that Aegon's purpose was not just acquisition of land, but to fight the winter that the Starks always say is coming. 
No one knows what Aegon, Brandon, and Torrin said to each other, but it would make sense if they found common cause against the White Walkers should they arrive soon, like Aegon thought they would. His mercy to not destroy the Northern Army as he easily could suddenly appears more tactical, because any war against the threat from the far north would have the Northerners acting as a primary line of defense. And an important one too, as demonstrated in Dance of Dragons, they're the ones who know how to fight and survive in the worst winter conditions. Perhaps shades of Stannis. Torrin may have been the only lord in Westeros to know Aegon's secret, a secret to secure an alliance or maybe a pact. Certainly for generations to come, no matter the conflict, the lords of Winterfell always stood by the Targaryen crown. Okay, well, until Aerys started killing them, centuries later. Nevertheless, a shared secret, a pact of ice and fire, as it were, explaining the strangeness around Torn quite neatly. Aegon may have specifically made a promise to defend the North personally if the danger beyond the wall does re-emerge in exchange for the loyalty of House Stark. Of course, the question becomes if Aegon was so concerned about preserving the North, why did it take him decades to ever visit the North or the Wall? You may remember what I said earlier about how he was attempting and failing for many years to personally subjugate Dorne, and after that he spent his time trying to keep his newly made conquests under his control. Plus, presumably if the danger from the North actually did show up, all it would take would be one raven and the dragons could fly immediately to help. If Aegon's kingdoms were united behind him rather than, say, an open rebellion, then he could marshal an army far easier than if he was, I don't know, personally taking a watch on the wall? or flying through the haunted forest trying to find white walkers that haven't even showed up yet. It's not really a plot hole, it's more a reality of how difficult it was to conquer then hold the seven-ish kingdoms who really did not want to be conquered. Sending his money and troops north against a threat that has not showed up yet would have been suicidal to his new realm and honestly unnecessary when he left the north and the watch totally intact and a raven from Torrin Stark or Lord Commander Hor would have been enough to raise the alarm in the south. Important to recognize that this was not just a problem for Aegon. The primary concern for just about every Targaryen monarch over the next almost three centuries is defending their throne against rebellious family members, former kings trying to reclaim their title, and invaders from across the Narrow Sea. This is not a solved problem by any means, and remains an ongoing concern politically and also related to Aegon's prophecy. You cannot use the combined resources of United Westeros to fight an existential threat if those kingdoms are not actually united. So rule zero of the Song of Ice and Fire is do not lose the throne. Alright, so that takes care of Aegon, but what about the rest of the Targaryen dynasty? They all dropped the ball, right? They couldn't have known about Aegon's secret because they did jack all and let it all fall into ruin. Except again, that's not really accurate. Aegon's sons did their own part to prepare for his prophecy in their own unique ways. Aenys I attempted to keep the realm together by being all his lord's best friends and rewarding them lavishly for good service, again continuing the rule zero that they must keep the Seven Kingdoms whole. Although an underrated part of Aenys is that unlike his half-brother Maegor, he spent much of his time with the maesters and septons and books and scrolls. He was specifically called a dreamer by those at the time and studied many of the higher mysteries. Boy. Doesn't it sound like Aenys may have been trying to research exactly what his father's dream meant and identify the threat? This sets up a running theme for what I think is an important concept for understanding how the Targaryens as a whole reacted to Aegon's Song of Ice and Fire, differently and often contradictory. 
because that's what happens when different people are faced with the same problem. Even concrete ones, everyone has a take on how they would solve some problem or what should be prioritized first. Some kings like Magor the Cruel may have believed that the key to victory would come from the force of armies and a warrior's mentality while others like Aenys could have believed that knowing their enemy better and if they have any weaknesses is more important than blindly charging into a fight. This may have even been the primary problem between Magor and Visenya with Aenys. They did not think he had the correct strength to face a world-ending threat while he was focusing on strategy and alliances. And again, both of them are still dealing with the fact that the Seven Kingdoms really don't want to be united under the Targaryen rule. This again is the problem of hindsight. We've seen how Whites are destroyed and how the White Walkers are defeated in Game of Thrones. None of these characters know any of that. They've never even seen a White Walker nor a White, so there's not even a good way for them to test their ideas in the field. Remember the White Walkers don't emerge again for another 300 years after Aegon's dream. The Targaryens have been given a riddle to solve and are blindly trying to guess the correct answer without any way to know if they are right. It's like trying to grade a test without an answer key. And this is all before you take into account the problem of the uncertainty of what Aegon dreamed. We know, for a fact, that not even the dreamers of prophecies get their interpretations right, and they're the ones that dreamed it. Symbols and double meanings are common, like the dreams are deliberately confusing and trying to trick the dreamer. So you have 17 different monarchs, at least, all trying to interpret a prophecy and then reacting to it. It'd be kind of weird if they didn't all come up with their own ideas and strategies that may disagree with their predecessor's ideas dramatically. Ask 17 random people now to solve a problem right in front of them, see how many times they all agree on the correct strategy, it's going to be about zero. We also have to take into account that between the 17 official Targaryen monarchs, there is a long game of telephone being played where what Aegon originally told his heirs is not what the later ones heard from their predecessors or read in flaming knives or scrolls. We see this happening literally in House of the Dragon, where Viserys on the fly changes the prophecy to be from his male heir to instead possibly being about a female heir in Rhaenyra. How many times did that happen between one king and another where the meaning of a song of ice and fire can change dramatically. Certainly, we even have examples of Prince Rhaegar and Maester Aemon debating via letter who the prince that was promised is and what the signs of their coming actually are. It would be the rule, not the exception, that each monarch would add their own understanding to the song of ice and fire. There's also been speculation to explain how the Targaryens dropped the ball that after the Dance of the Dragons, the secret will be lost and uncovered by future monarchs. And I am skeptical of this because not that long after the war ends, you have King Daron I attempting to conquer Dorne again, and his successor, King Baelor, doing all sorts of wild things like making a young boy High Septon, imprisoning his sister so not get pregnant by anybody, praying over dragon eggs to hatch them, and burning books about prophecy and magic. Almost like Baelor knew about the Song of Ice and Fire and was attempting to avert it by destroying knowledge of it and doing everything he could to avoid it, including breaking the bloodline of Aegon the Conqueror. Other kings are much the same. Eris read about prophecies in his scrolls. Jaehaerys II married his children Rhaella and Aerys together because a woods witch told him their union would bring about the prince that was promised. Aegon IV apparently just gave up and decided to live a life of decadence before Doomsday. Aegon V attempted to hatch dragons at Summerhall, and then sent Maester Aemon, Bloodraven, Duncan the Tall, all of Bloodraven's soldiers, and everybody in the King's Landing dungeons to the Night's Watch, which is hard not to see as a reinforcement. Clearly, after the death of the dragons, though, the number one priority after keeping the throne 
was getting the dragons back, and so on and so on and so on through the decades. Of course, there is one shining example of a Targaryen monarch who did everything people are asking if future Targaryens ever did. They personally visited Winterfell and the Night's Watch. They spent their own gold to build a brand new castle to replace the old and decrepit Nightfort. They charmed the Lord of Winterfell into giving up land from their own territory to give to the Night's Watch so they could have more food and gold generation. They also continually would send criminals and traitors not to the Executioner's Axe, but to the Night's Watch to reinforce it. And that is, of course, the best Targaryen monarch of all time, Queen Alysanne the Good widely acknowledged to be effectively a co-monarch with Jaehaerys the Conciliator, and even referenced in the first episode, with her death being the reason for the downfall of King's Landing. King's Landing has been in decline since my grandmother passed. Suggesting that Jaehaerys was not really the one in charge. Queen Alysanne, three monarchs removed from Aegon, clearly knows the secret of Song of Ice and Fire and is acting on it. The knowledge of the prophecy as well also explains how she got the prickly Lord Alaric Stark to give up his lands for the Night's Watch. She possibly could have called on the secret that Torrin and Aegon may have shared, reminding Lord Alaric that they have a common cause against the oncoming Long Night. Bless good Queen Alysanne, the best there ever was. It's almost like she read ahead in the series and knew it was going to happen. And who knows, with her best friend being the always right Septim Barth, you know what? Maybe she did. So there you go. The Targaryens did not do nothing. They did a lot of different things in a disorganized manner from an uncertain prophecy being communicated across an extremely long game of telephone, unable to know what would work ahead of time or really even what they were preparing for. And then after a while, became convinced that maintaining their throne was their number one priority and later getting the dragons back, making a strong push as priority 1B. Viewing those is often way more important than funding the Night's Watch. After all, aren't dragons better than a bunch of dudes with beards and swords standing on an ice wall? Well, maybe. It's almost like the Targaryens are people with different ideas, pressures, biases, and understandings of the same information trying their best but falling short. You know, not total war players min-maxing their cheesy speedrun strategies. Anyway, keep reading, as Gurum always says. I am sure we have not heard the last of the Song of Ice and Fire in House of the Dragon. Do you want to have your very own dragon dreams? Do you want to know what's coming in House of the Dragon? Well, you don't have to be Aerys I trying to find prophecy in his scrolls. You can pick yourself up a copy of Fire and Blood by George R. R. Martin, the book House of the Dragon is based on in an affiliate link in the description of this video. Or maybe you're the kind of person that would rather hear the roar of the dragons yourself like Viserys I. Well, there's a link for that too. You can pick up a free Audible trial as well at audibletrial.com slash joemagician. I'd like to say thank you as well to all my lovely patrons. If you too would like to have access to exclusive content, sneak previews, our wonderful Slack community, or just want to support me in this kind of insanity, sign up at patreon.com slash geomagician. And thank you specifically to Seneschal Ramona Zamfir, Grandmaster Chris B, Sue the Fury, Grand Mistress of Whispers, Archmaster Mullen, Brendan Beefish, Right Farter of the Fandom Truth, Aaron M, the Executive Assistant to the Slack, Jared W, KCD, Lady May, Leathery Wings, Maester Mary, and Nauticast.